1: Presents
2: the G1 Cast. With Justin and Carlos 12. Yo, it's Justin, and you're listening to the G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. Today, it's day three of the New Japan G1 Climax. Actually, it just finished a few hours ago. Uh, it was the first of two days of G1 shows in Hokkaido this week. Um, Today's six match card was really good, albeit it was really short. Um, we'll talk more about whether that's good or bad or in between in a few minutes with Carlos. And actually, Carlos has some really interesting stats to share with us today about the um, Okada versus Yujiro match. So stay tuned for those in a little bit. Uh, before we get started, uh, I wanted to let you guys know that, <clears throat> excuse me, you can find. F- Carlos at Fightful.com every week. And you can find him on Twitter at Carlos Toro 360 And I'm on Twitter too, if for some reason you need to get a hold of me that way. At Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Let me just run down today's results before we get started. So today's show is from Hokkaido. G1 Climax, day three, we had Gabriel Kidd defeat Yuya Uemura in seven minutes, 21 seconds. Billy Robinson style... Butterfly suplex finish, very nice. Jeff Cobb went over on Shingo Takagi in just about 12 minutes in a really good match. Kazuchika Okada defeated Yujiro Takahashi in another 12 minute match. Taichi, Taichi over Minoru Suzuki. Wow, can you believe it? With Black Mephisto in 12 minutes. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm feeling the same way too. Will Ospreay and Tomohiro Ishii had a great match. Ospreay beat Ishii in just under 20 minutes and the main event yesterday was Jay White defeating Kota Ibushi in a 20 minute rematch of last year's G1 finals so we're going to talk about that soon let's get started all right hey it's Justin from Fight Game Media I'm with Carlos Toro Carlos what's up?
1: Doing pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty excited about this latest G1 show and also not very excited over certain elements of it, but uh, <laughs> let's get down to it. I'm pretty excited to just talk, keep talking more G1.
2: Yeah, so right before we started recording, we were talking about how surprised we were at how short the show was, and that's kind of been the, uh, the theme so far. This show, I don't think it was more than two hours, but it's been like really short. The match has been really like tightly um, booked or programmed that they're not going more than 20 minutes what did you think about the length of the show in general
1: you know speaking as someone who lives on the east coast or technically lives on east coast time in cleveland i very much appreciate it it's it's it certainly is a godsend not having to wait for four or five multi-man tag matches before we actually get into the G1 matches, and all we're getting in some really, really good young line matches, which I mean, not a single one during this G1 tour has been disappointing or even bad or average to say the least.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And let's get right into it with the first match on last night's card. It was Gabriel Kidd. He went over on Yuya Uemura. Um It was really good, like we've been talking about, although if you've seen the prior matches or you've seen any of the other young lion matches this doesn't deviate from that this is the standard fare what do you think of this one carlos
1: yeah it's you know it's your typical you know young lions g1 match at this point have you seen one of them you've seen pretty much most of them but the one thing i did like and was really really impressed by the way for any of you who have never seen gabriel Kidd or have seen gabriel Kidd, but it's been years since you last saw him the there is a huge noticeable difference in his size. Like if you've been following his stuff in you know in the UK for a few years ago, like physically, Gabriel Kidd looks so absolutely big nowadays, and he has looked tremendous. It was. The crowd was really, really into this, match. There was one part where Gabriel Kidd had a big boot on Yuya Uemura, and Uemura immediately got back up, and the two just growled at each other for a brief second and then just went on for, like, almost two minutes of nonstop forearms and slaps, and the crowd was really into it, which I looked at that, and I thought to myself, This is a really, really good thing going for these young lions, for the guys that are still in Japan, because maybe more so, or just as much as getting to be in these multi-man tag matches with veterans and legends, the fact that these two can do a singles match, and barely anyone knows who they are, the general Japanese audience, especially Gabriel Kidd, who's one of the newer young lions. The fact that the crowd was into it, it really does give me a lot of hope for this current young line class and what they could potentially do down the line once they once they graduate from young line status once they do their excursion if they're able to do an excursion I'm I'm really excited about what this uh, what these guys can do down the line Yeah
2: you know, I, I can't add much more to what you said I, like you're right on I really like these matches the crowd is obviously really into these matches. Also when Yuta Suji's is involved too, he's on par, if not bad, maybe the best out of all three, but kid is on the come up. Kid is really uh, charismatic and he shows he's really fiery. He really gets into it and not in a cheesy cliched way. It seems like he is getting into it and getting emotional about real things. There, there, and, there's
1: genuine intensity and and again, they do they do this, and the crowd gets into it with just basic stuff. I think maybe the most complex move, wrestling maneuver in that match was Gabriel Kidd's double underarm uh, suplex. I think that was absolutely. I think that was like the most complex thing they did. It was a lot of forearms, a lot of kicks, but nothing extravagant. But it, it works, and the crowd it just eats
2: it up. I actually have in my notes that. Before the Billy Robinson suplex, the double arm butterfly thing, the other big high spot in this match, you know what it was? It was a big hip toss and pin. That was it. And it worked. It's simple. It's basic. But they tell the story. They tell a quick story. They tell a strong story. It gets everybody into it. And to be honest – these are becoming one of the things I look forward to most on these cards. And I hope that doesn't take away from some of the other G1 matches, which we should probably get right into. Cause <laughs> I would say this is better than some of the other matches on the card. I'm not sure, but let's keep talking about it, but let's move through. And the next match is not one of those The next match was really cool and really good. Jeff Cobb went over on Shingo Takagi. Jeff Cobb looked like a million bucks. Shingo looked like a million bucks as usual. But Jeff Cobb is—he's something else now. He's—he belongs in New Japan. He's got his new music. He's got the new look, and these guys. Yeah, what do you think of this one, Carlos? This was pretty intense. Yeah,
1: I mean, you—you want to talk about? We talked about this last time about Jeff Cobb. You know, getting, needing to take maybe a couple of losses before he truly is. Integrated into Japan, and I, I think we might be getting to that point a lot sooner than than we initially thought. This was a really good match. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was hard hitting. It was, in some regards, like a bit of a parallel to Kenta's match with Hiroki Goto, where you know that Cobb and Kenta can do so much more than what they uh, showed us in the U.S., and it took a guy who can hit hard can engage in some, you know, yeah, not to use the cliche, strong style matches, and mm-hmm. Shingo Takai was the perfect opponent for Jeff Cobb. I, I do kind of feel, uh, I am a little curious to see what they do with Shingo for the rest of the tournament since he's now starting 0-2, and it just came off a run as the Never open weight champion.
2: It's all interesting to see where both wrestlers go going forward in new japan in new japan context um yeah
1: and the one thing how, that that i kind of thought was really interesting like maybe there are some people and maybe and i actually kind of confirmed as just as a shingo takagi fan but the one thing i really like don was like okay he lost the first two matches but that doesn't mean he's gonna go like one for six for uh, the rest of the way or however many matches are there left yeah seven seven um Like, there are guys, and we've seen this in the past. There are guys who start out really, really bad in the G1 and they ended up on a really good run. But, like, one example that I immediately thought of was Juice Robinson. He's his first G1 was one and he started one and six, then he won his last three and he beat Kenny Omega and Michael Elgin, which is really nothing to sneeze at. So, I think we might be getting a Shingo Takagi win over either. Maybe okada or ibushi i'm curious to know what you think
0: all right let's take a quick break from justin and carlos to talk about our newest sponsor indeed we're just talking with my manager today and we're looking for a social care support person so social media people understand the sort of the marketing piece of social media but there is also companies need a support side of social media, especially if you're working with customers and members. And so, you know, I thought as, as I was talking to my boss, I was like, man, you know, have this great deal for, for the podcast for uh, for Indeed, specifically what, what we're looking for. So for the listeners of the Fight Game podcast and the G1 cast. Uh, right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now, Indeed.com BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th.
2: And let's get back to Justin and Carlos. That is a great point, and on the inverse, I want to bring up last year's G one with Fight Game Media's new best friend John Moxley. He had a, I think it was like at least like a huge like winning streak. He was just tearing through everybody, and then he lost to Toriano, and then he was out. Pretty much, I think he lost the rest of his matches until the end of it, and then he wasn't a factor in the tournament. But what I'm trying to say is I think that's the beauty of the booking of G1 is that it can really lull us into uh, a false sense of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're we're on a podcast, we're speculating this person might go this way, this person might go that way. But if you look at the patterns of the past, usually – how the G one starts is not how the G one finishes. So we have to keep our eye on it. And especially between Cobb and Shingo Cobb has been losing a lot of matches in new Japan on new Japan strong. And I think he lost his, you know, he lost his first G one match. Um, so we'll see what happens. And I don't know what the plan is for Shingo, but like you said, I, I agree. And I think there just, because there are two losses on Shingo's G one record right now, I don't think that factors into his long-term story. Um, but we'll have to wait until next month to see where that's going. Um, cool. Okay. Next. All right. We were talking about this one right before we went on. Kazuchika Okada defeated Yujiro Takahashi in what you gave me, Carlos. You gave me a really interesting stack. Can you share that with everyone? So
1: I I thought to myself, well, everybody's obviously going to be thinking, including myself. They've done Yujiro Takahashi versus Kazuchika Okada a million times since the pandemic, and I thought to myself, well, it can't be that many times. So I checked. And it turns out my fears were founded. This was, including tag matches, this was their 14th match since the pandemic, since New Japan returned from the pandemic, and that was in July. That was two months ago, and they've done 14 matches between each other. You want to take a gander as to what Takahashi's record is in those 14
2: matches? I'm I'm at a loss. I don't know. And I didn't watch all of those tag matches last month. No, oh, why would you? Give me you? the skinny. <laughs> well, some of them are good. But uh, give me the skinny. What's up? Okada is 11-3
1: in those matches. None oh. of them, uh, none of his losses were in singles matches, including, you know, the one where Okada was in a three-versus-one handicap. You know, the ha- right. the stipulation that Okada himself chose. So, I, I there was a part of him that was kind of thinking – Maybe Yujiro finally gets one over Okada because at some point, you, this has got to end in something. This can't just be like a waste of two months for Okada doing this Yujiro Takahashi feud. And, but at the same time, are, are you really going to put Okada in an 0 2 hole with one of those losses being Yujiro Takahashi? Like, this match wasn't bad. It, you know, it was just, it was a pretty good Takahashi match, but a, pedestrian dare I say mediocre Okada match
2: yeah I'm ambivalent about it in that okay to be positive the most positive thing about this match is is I think that as a wrestling match without any other context like the stats that you mentioned the storylines I think that like if I'm a if I'm training to wrestle I think every trainee should be able to replicate this match perfectly because it's really textbook. Mm-hmm. It really felt like they're like, I couldn't, I can't say nobody, they didn't do anything wrong. Nothing was wrong in this match, but um, I think it's more comparable to like uh, the young lions match, but the difference was the charisma and intensity and like the vocabulary in the ring that they were using the types of move. It was, of course it was more quote unquote advanced or flashier, but still it was Yujiro. As a heel, taking a good chunk of the offense in this match, Uh, Okada um, changing the rhythm anytime he was on offense. That's what they mentioned on uh, commentary. And so it would get a little faster, and then Yujiro would slow it down. Towards the end, it was cool. But uh, like you said, Okada came away with yet another win, so I don't know what the initial or end plan is for Yujiro Takahashi other than, I mean, he bleached his hair. And the matches aren't bad, but I don't know what the uh, what the end game is for him.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only other thing that's notable to watch out is what Okada is going to keep doing at the end of all these matches, trying to win with the money clip, which is this new uh, submission. Like, he's not trying to beat guys with the Rainmaker anymore. He's now trying to go for this, this thing that he calls the money clip as this new finish, or at least this new submission. So... I'm still not entirely sold on on it, but I'm curious to see how it how it actually looks when we go up against one of the top guys.
2: That's interesting that I've, I've seen that name money clip going around, and I've heard it on the English commentary. But on the Japanese commentary, they call it something like modified Cobra clutch or something. I, I don't think sometimes the moves are called different things, so I'm never sure which which one to use or which one to say out loud. Should I use the English version, mm-hmm. but Money clip sounds cool. It does. And I mean, he's he's clipping the, the the air out of his opponent. So, yeah, money clip. Okay, cool. Very good. Okay, next. This next match was interesting. We came off with, I would consider this an upset. Taichi defeated Minoru Suzuki with Black Mephisto in a really messy brawl, fist fight, Private uh, feud settlement kind of match. What is? That's what it felt like. Uh, what were your thoughts on this from the get-go, Carlos? Because it didn't really start properly. It started with choking. Yeah. Just the two choking each yeah. other, and yeah. not wrestling chokes, just hand on throat choking.
1: You, if you had never seen New Japan before, you would have never in a million years guessed that these two weren't the same faction. <laughs> right. It's, it's like they seem like old rivals. Yeah, and I mean. I don't know where that leads. It's actually really, really interesting that Tai Chi was the one who gave Minoru Suzuki his his first loss in the G1 now. I have not seen the the backstage comment, or at least I don't know if they've done like English translation of backstage comments that they always like to do, at least at the time of this recording. But I don't know what the plan is. I mean, obviously, I guess this means that maybe we're going to get a tai versus suzuki match for I, don't know, I think the next pay-per-view or at least the next major show after g1 is power struggle and you know for the never open weight title which is interesting you they've done a couple of these you know title matches or at least big matches between members of the same faction and we're going to get a couple more throughout this g1 so who knows maybe maybe elise is somewhere i don't think this is going to turn into a storyline where you see taichi trying to usurp minoru suzuki as the as the leader of suzuki gun i could be wrong but this was it was weird but i, I would not say it's it was a bad match it was just it felt like this was the halfway or towards the later point of a long story or a long feud when this when it really isn't
2: I agree, and I think there are so many different ways you can read it. You can read this match as for what it was. And like you said, we I haven't watched the backstage comments either, so I, I don't know if there's anything else attached to this. But um, what I gathered in general is that Tai Chi is the guy who's going to be with the company for a longer amount of time at this point than Minor Suzuki. Suzuki is 51 or 52 now. I'm not saying he's, you know, he can go – as long as he wants to. But the reality is Taichi is the younger guy. He's a little fresher now. And since last year, at least among Japanese fans, when he does commentary, this is, he's gotten a little more popular um, just for being really funny. He, he's kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but he's, he's really crass and rude when he talks. And he talks in a way that I don't think many people expect.
0: Yeah, he is a very,
2: to sound like. Yeah, he's a very, very unique individual. Extremely
1: charismatic. I mean, not just inside the ring, but outside the ring. But and at first, I kind of thought, well, yeah, he is fifty-two. But we were just talking on the last show just how great he looks for fifty-two, and he doesn't necessarily wrestle a style that's gonna hinder, his, you know, his real long term you know abilities to perform in the ring because it's not a style that requires something that only you know someone in their 20s or in their 30s can do and and we've seen suzuki just be able to reinvent himself as a wrestler for the last few years so there's a part of me that was kind of thinking he is with two maybe they could this could lead into some
2: type of storyline but i don't think we're at that point quite yet yeah. 52. I don't mean to imply that he would retire or anything mm-hmm. like that. Although I could see uh, Suzuki phasing himself out or because of something that he might want to do in the future. I don't know what the plan is, but basically Taichi moved from junior to heavyweight finally last year. And I think the heavyweight style, there's a lot more variety for him in this division and there's just a fresher mix of guys he can work with and the when i think of tai chi i try to think of him in like a like a mexican heel style like a rudo style where if you think of him like that then if you put him with fantastic heavyweight wrestlers he serves as the that um that base in the match that guy who is there to look good but really make the other guy look really good so and i think he can do that in the right situations although one thing I want to say about this match before I move on is there's just more of the the referee nonsense I mean this match Mario Asami was useless in this match if if we're to think of this as a if this was a real uh situation I mean I don't I don't think I saw him on camera he was basically selling as he got beat up quite a bit during this match, but I get it. I get where they're going. It served a purpose, but it's um, again, more of that reliance on just taking out the referee and kind of forgetting about it by the next match. And I don't know. I have to watch a lot of this, so I don't forget about it. I just wish they would at least have some consequences, some kayfabe consequences for these situations. These three referees in new Japan, they get beat up a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, like more than I think other companies. So that's neither here nor there, I guess, but the match was what it was. It was for Tai Chi. I wish there was more referee involvement somehow. I'm sure that would make it better. Um, but yeah, that's that. And moving on to the next match with a completely different vibe <laughs> was – Will Asprey defeating Tomohiro Ishii in their first match together. I think this was their first ever match, singles match against each other in what was a really good match, um, which I don't know about you, Carlos, but this definitely would have felt different if there was a crowd, if it, or even if it was at Coraco at a smaller venue. What did you think of uh, this guy, this match?
1: Yeah, I really fully agree with you on that part. I Thought that this would have been the type of match where the crowd would have been on fire if one there was a full crowd and two they were allowed to actually cheer and yell and sit beyond the just clapping that we that we the New Japan is limiting audience nowadays. This was a really good match. I loved the the idea that Will Ospreay was going for a more smash mouth approach against Tomohiro Ishii. And and if I didn't explain myself super well the last time we talked about Osprey, and and when I said, you know, we could be seeing a less aerial version of Osprey go up against Minoru Suzuki if, uh, when they have their match, kind look, of look at this Ishii match, and this is pretty much more or less what I was getting at, at least for the first 10 minutes of this match. It was phenomenal. It was really, really good. The 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 ending of the match was very very interesting. They, I love. I'm, I'm surprised that he that Ishii actually kicked out of the Stormbreaker because I would think that a spot like that, especially with you know Ishii is not a is not a small guy. He's a pretty he's a pretty hefty fellow. And don't want, you know? No, no. Uh, this is not any shade or or anything or any dis towards Ishii and how he looks. I think he's phenomenal, but. It it was. I'm pretty sure this wasn't an easy move to pull off for for Osprey and to be able to hit Stormbreaker like that, and for Ishii to kick out that was that was a little bit surprising. I thought that that would be the end of the
0: match.
2: I don't recall when when did that happen in the match because I know he finished the match with the Stormbreaker eventually. I know he kind of tried to go up for it, and there were a lot of quick exchanges. But when was that think- part of the match? I have. Hmm. I, I yeah, go ahead.
1: Maybe, maybe I was wrong, but it was, but he did hit it. Um, it was somewhat late, but there were times where he tried to, and she just kept uh getting out of it.
2: Yeah, basically, regardless, he gave Ishi a lot. she had a, there were a lot of 2.8, 2.9 counts in this. There was a huge uh jumping Liger bomb spot that was 2.9. And uh, one thing that I noticed in general about this match is that. It wasn't as much Osprey adapting to Ishii. It was really Ishii picking up his pace and meeting Osprey at the Osprey pace or level. Um right from the get-go. they were I you don't see Ishii going that fast all the time. He's really it's almost becoming a cliche to say among like wrestling writers, but Ishii is in a lot of ways one of the – just maybe the best wrestler in the world right now or one of them. I mean, he could do anything. He could do anything at a high level. I think that's the thing. And he proved it last night. Again, I wish I had a crowd. Osprey looked awesome. And one thing I thought was really funny is junior heavyweight or ex-junior heavyweight Will Osprey looked a lot bigger than Ishii. He towered over him, and he's just bigger than him now completely. It just –
1: he like yeah. is not is, he's not exactly super tall, but he is like you look at him, you think that's a heavyweight. but then you look at Osprey side by side, it just completely baffles me how yeah. how much bigger Osprey has to look. And I get it, he has been trying very hard during this pandemic to really bulk up in order to be a true heavyweight. But the one thing that I love is that he was able to poke up so much, but he was still going at the pace that he went, which is the one thing I was a little worried about. Because when you get bigger, you're going to slow down a little bit. You're not going to be as quick as you were
2: 50 pounds lighter. Yeah, I, I was not worried about that, but that's what that's what we think. You know. You, you gain weight and you slow down. But I think with Osprey, to me, I don't think it's a slowing down, but I think his technique or his his moves look better now. He looks like... He's in more control of his body. Like the dude was, he did two backflips in a row where he landed on his feet in that match. He did the Sasuke special, teased it, landed on his feet, ran to the apron, did a moonsault off of that. And it wasn't the end of the spot. It was, I think Ishii uh, threw him into the guardrail or something. So the athleticism is just off the charts with Osprey. I know people say, say what they say, whatever. This This is, I haven't seen it. I watched a lot of wrestling, and this guy's going nuts. So kudos to both of them. It was a great match. Oh, and about the size thing, I forgot to mention it. The same feeling I had was for uh, Cobb and um, Shingo Takagi. I thought Takagi stood a little taller over Jeff Cobb, even though last year, Shingo Takagi was a junior heavyweight as well. So I don't know what the parameters are for the division classes in New Japan, but um, they're interesting and definitely messed with my my head <laughs> but yeah whatever that, that's what it is all right one more quick break from the g1
0: cast this is the first g1 cast that carlos and uh and justin have done outside of being uh a, seg- a segment on the fight game podcast so this is their first solo g1 cast really appreciate the uh the great work that they've been doing on this show um the wait is finally over. Football is back. We are heading into week three of the NFL season. And, you know, we as fans might not be able to go to a game this year. I had planned with uh, with my wife. We'd we gone to a game last year. We had such a blast at, at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara to see the 49ers. I think, you know, we were, we were thinking about going to two or three this year. Unfortunately, there's not going to be fans this year. Uh, at Levi Stadium. But, um, you know, if, if you're missing out on the action, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get it on every possible chance to win this season. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Also, for this weekend, UFC show. I got a couple bets on on the uh, over/under uh, for Adesanya and Costa, and uh, just you know the fights. You could bet on uh, all the fights listed on the show. Maybe do a couple of parlays or something. Get get maybe get some fights together to lower the odds if you win all three. But anyways, bet BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get to the end of the first solo. G1 cast in the Fight Game podcast uh, feed.
2: Final match. Ibushi and Jay White. Jay White wins. He gets some uh, revenge from last year's G1 finals. What did you think of this one? This was a very interesting match.
1: This was one of the... uh, Discounting the eventual, you know, chicanery. This was Mm. one of the best matches... Uh, on the G one up to this point, this was phenomenal. I I wasn't exactly I I, I it was one of those matches where you kind of where you learn to accept. Okay, this won't exactly have the cleanest of finishes, but uh, but you know what? It was solid. It was it you know I don't I'm not sure I would say this was better than the G than their match last year. Maybe this was at the very least. Maybe at least on par with the Wrestle Kingdom match that they had, but it was a really, really good match. The eventual, you know, ref um, problems with with interference, yada yada yada. It's a story. It's something that we're gonna har- that I don't want to harp on way too much, but this is a really good match, and I think you'll you can kind of get a sense uh, that Jay White could be the presumed favorite to win the A Block.
2: Yeah, especially after that match. Um, Yeah, as far as, like, as you said, the chicanery, I love that word, the ballyhoo, all the skylarking in the match. Uh, It was, it's to be expected with Jay White now. It's like, if you get, if I'm going to sit here and be angry about Ghetto getting involved in Jay White cheating in his matches, I mean, he's been doing that for three years now, so that's on me. So, like you said, for what, we don't have to like that style, but, Regardless, he's doing that style, and this is as good as that style is going to get with interference. There were some points where um towards the uh, maybe it was the towards the end of the match, they were on the apron. Gedo got involved and like started pulling a Jay or Ibushi's leg from the apron to block a move. Jay Was so quick and just getting in a cheap shot behind the referee's back. It wasn't very posed like you see in other companies where the referee is completely out and very far away and the wrestler looks right into the camera and then looks at the wrestler and gives them a low blow or something. It's very like you kind of know what's going to happen 10 seconds before it happens. Where here, at least he's doing it, but he's doing it in a, a way that if you were in a real fight, you'd probably do it like that. You would do it behind the referee's back in a really sneaky, quick way. And he was really, Jay White himself was really fired up the whole night. He cut a really long, almost rambly promo at the end of the match. But let's go back to the match. What other thoughts did you have on the match, Carlos?
1: Really not not much else. I mean, it wasn't like this was the most intricate match ever made. It was, I mean, if you've seen Jay White versus Kota Ibushi, you kind of more or less have an idea of what to expect. Uh, I guess the real interesting part was you know j1's two and oh coda's only one one but there is a lot you can do between these two provided you know provided what happens later on in the tournament i mean there's a good chance we may see the singles match one more time before wrestle kingdom i wouldn't doubt that say coda wins the g1 again or, or something it's we are in unlikely times, or even if Jay White wins it, you can find a way to get these two in another match. So I think this could be, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if we'll see this in the coming months once more. I really like this match, but but yeah, it wasn't, I I don't think this was their best match between the two of them.
2: What I got from that match last night, I actually thought Ibushi was going to win because of, Compare. I don't remember all the details of last year's uh, G1 finals because that was like, pretty long, too. I think it was almost 40 minutes. Is, does that sound right or am I totally off? I think it was a really long, really long match, and there were a lot of interference. This was a really condensed, tighter version of that, but my point, what I wanted to bring up was that— It was 31 minutes, G1. 31 minutes. Okay, yeah, so it was, it was pretty long. I guess it felt longer to me, <laughs> but um, this one was maybe 10 minutes shorter. But Ibushi felt like he was no-selling a lot, intentionally no-selling a lot because he's doing this I'm going to become a god gimmick. He has a little catchphrase that I noticed they said again on commentary. like, I, The signals are pointing to, okay, something is going on with Ibushi this year, something like maybe he wins the G1 – and if he were to win the G1, that means that Jay White beat him on day three, which means he's at least uh, uh, what's the word? required a, a title shot or, or a shot against Ibushi if he were to win the title or something like that. So like you said, this might have been solely to set up a future match.
1: Yeah, which is, if you really think about it, and sometimes people don't look at the G1 that way. But really, the G1, aside from the two or three guys at the very top and plus whoever's going to win it, this they really used the G1 to set up
2: programs and short fuse for the next of the year, or the end of the year, I should say. Yeah, amazing. Using wrestling to tell wrestling stories. It's genius, isn't it? Shocker. Uh, but yeah. I don't mean to be snarky or cynical because this was really good and there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good wrestling out there. And we were just talking about um, the All Japan Champion Carnival. We're going to talk about that this weekend in more detail on Sunday. So we're, we're staying up to it, but there's a lot of wrestling to watch and a lot of podcasting to do. So before we wrap, Carlos, is there anything else that you want to um, talk about for the Day 3 show in Hokkaido?
1: Uh, not much, really. The The interesting part was that the entering time between all six matches was, it wasn't that much. It was, there was only one match that went above 20 minutes, which was the main event. That was, I don't think they even reached 21 minutes, which kind of goes to show just how relatively condensed the entering time of this G1 is. I mean, I think... Every single match except for the last two went under 13
2: minutes, which is really, really surprising. Yeah, they I, I like it for now, and but it's a little bit different because I like it because now I have more time in the day to talk about it. Because <laughs> some of those matches are cards last year, they're like four hours. When you do a lot of those, it's it's just long, but um, I don't know if that like. That will hurt or help the quality of the G one. A lot of people look at the G one as like you know, uh, they they look at star rating, they look how many stars the observer will give it. Uh, but I think the the game is a little flipped this year because I don't. Some matches I don't. You can only have such a good match in fifteen minutes. It, there's a ceiling. You can have an amazing match, but you got to do a lot of storytelling. I thought Jeff Cobb and Shingo Takagi did a great job at packing a lot of action into a relatively short match. I don't even think, I think it was maybe 10 minutes or so, but um, I felt like there was a lot to that. So expect the pace in all of these matches this summer or fall, I guess we're in now, to be a lot. Uh, it's just more action. And I think the storytelling, more epic stories will be saved for next month towards the end. Uh, that's the feeling I get, but I guess we'll find out soon. So tomorrow, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss the uh, B-Block. Okay, i want to run down the B-Block real quick. So tomorrow, from the same place in Hokkaido, we have Hirooki Goto versus Sanada, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Toru Yano. I'm already laughing I, I assume that'll be entertaining in the least. Juice Robinson versus Kenta, the new Juice Robinson, might I add, uh, with the new look. Uh, Yoshihashi versus Evil in a rematch from their four-minute New Japan Cup match this year where Yoshihashi tapped to a Scorpion Deathlock very quickly. Uh, and final is Tetsuya Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr., which I'm very interested in. Any of those uh, pique your interest, Carlos?
1: A couple of matches are pretty good. However, I will go with a very, very surprising Uh, prediction, a bold prediction. Toriyano's going to be Hiroshi Tanahashi. Wow,
2: that is bold. (laughs) That is bold. Although, Yano is technically on a winning streak, a one-match winning streak. And it's over Sanada. It's not a, you know, no chump change. So, we'll see. I think Sanada needs some, uh, he needs to save face tonight slash tomorrow too. But um, one thing I want to mention before we wrap, I was perusing the pro wrestling tees shop. Just, you know, I got a a coupon that said 30% off new Japan merch. Okay. I'm going to check out some merch. I looked at a Hiroki Goto shirt and there's a shirt that new Japan made that said G in G one is for Goto. (laughs) And I think that's false advertising. That's I, I like Goto very much. He's a very talented wrestler, but come on people. Come on. That's too much. G. For Goto, there's like – I would say Yano ranks ahead of Goto <laughs> right now. I mean, I, I I think that's just too much. That's over the line for me, but uh, <laughs> I digress. Okay, uh, so I guess that's it for today. We're going to come back tomorrow for day four. B-block, Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. in the final. For Fight Game Media and Carlos, I'm Justin. See you later.